0: ESPN, ESPN Radio. Radio. Shea Cornette and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Twitter line at Chris 99 at Shay Pepler and Shay. We've got a lot of lot to get to today. We've got a lot of news from the NBA, Commissioner Adam Silver speaking, as well as some NFL offseason storylines. But unfortunately, we have to start with some sobering news coming out of the NFL and yet another incident, another example of workplace misconduct and misogyny and behavior toward women, and this from the Dallas Cowboys, as they paid confidential settlement to $2.4 million after four members of their iconic cheerleading squad accused the senior team executive of voyeurism in the locker room as they undressed during a 2015 event at AT&T Stadium. One of the cheerleaders alleged that she saw Rich Dalrymple, the Cowboys' longtime senior vice president of public relations and communications, standing behind a partial wall in their locker room with the iPhone extended toward them while they were changing their clothes. Dalrymple gained entry to the back door of the cheerleaders' locked dressing room by using a security key card. Dalrymple, who did not respond to interview requests by ESPN, told team officials he entered the cheerleaders' locker room not knowing the women were there and left right away, a team source said. His account was contradicted by multiple sources described the alleged incident to ESPN. On Monday night, Dalrymple issued a statement calling both allegations false. Now, this happened in 2015. Dalrymple continued to work for the club for six years after the settlement was made, and on February 2nd, He told the Dallas Morning News that he was retiring after 32 years of being Jerry Jones' chief spokesman and confidant. He said the allegations had nothing to do with his retirement from his career with the Dallas Cowboys. Immediately following the incident in 2015, the cheerleaders reported what had happened to a security guard. Three people said the security guard wanted to report the incident to the Arlington Police Department. If the cheerleaders alleged allegations were substantiated under Texas law, it would be a misdemeanor to secretly observe someone without their consent and a felony to take a photo video of an intimate area of another person without their consent. Now, we get all of this information from the report from Don Van Nada, who is ESPN senior writer who is covering this story, and this is the article that he published on the .com site and Shay, we talked about this earlier, but when you read this article What was your thoughts? What was your first impressions of this situation?
1: Uh, Well, I think my initial reaction was probably what I hope most were when they first hear this story and that it's disgusting and extremely disturbing. And then, comma... Here we go again with the NFL and having issues with women or having issues with self-control and how to handle things in a mature manner. I want to add something to everything you just said, Chris, because I think it's important to point out that when asked about this, a a Cowboys representative said the team thoroughly investigated both alleged incidents and found no wrongdoing by Dalrymple and no evidence that he took photos or video of the women. Okay, the team does not dispute that Dalrymple used a security key card to get into the cheerleader's locker room while the women were changing clothes. But they say there was essentially no wrongdoing. Okay, well then, why did you go ahead and settle this and pay almost $2.5 million to these women and have them sign – Uh, nondisclosures where they can't speak about this any further. I just want to point that out because to me, you know, yesterday we were talking about holes in the story, major holes in this story. Okay. And so that to me says something Um, at this point, it's time to take a step back and kind of look at this from a broader sense. To have a a cheerleading squad, um, a dance team, whatever it is, which, by the way, I was on a dance team. I was on the cheer squad all through high school and through college. So I've been this person before. It adds a lot of things to your franchise in terms of public relations, in terms of media exposure, in terms of airtime, in terms of the interaction with the fans and having a presence in the community and doing a lot of things that maybe probably gets overlooked by the majority of people and probably gets overlooked by men, unless I believe the Ravens do have men on their cheerleading squad. But other than that, there's not males on these cheerleading squads. So that's number one. So these cheerleaders, while they are self-employed for the most part, they still show up on the NFL's website. They're still coined as NFL cheerleaders. And so, therefore, they are part of this league. And so now when we take a step back and we look at what has been going on as of late, you have the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, accused of incentivizing losing. This is all within the last month. You have mm. the Commander's owner, Dan Snyder, accused of sexual harassment and workplace misconduct. And now here we are today realizing that the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, own daughter and their cheerleaders, who, by the way, are the most iconic in all of cheer, dance, throughout the National Football League. They are part of the Dallas Cowboys brand, okay? And now... People inside that building that you're supposed to trust are just wandering into locker rooms that they have no business being in, spying on women and acting in a manner that is not only immature, but disgusting and and creepy, quite frankly. And so I think the NFL as a whole really needs to take a look in the mirror. I read an article from 2020. So now two years removed, Chris. OK, mm-hmm. and so far back then, two years ago. 10 out of the 26 NFL teams with cheerleaders had been sued for wage theft, unsafe working conditions, sexual harassment, and discrimination, and that was two years ago. So you need to figure out a way how to handle yourself with individuals that are not like-minded like you, meaning women, minority, people who don't look like you, act like you, or have the same religious beliefs, and figure out a way to act accordingly because the NFL has got issues everywhere with this now.
0: No doubt about it. And the reaction to the Dallas Cowboys issuing a formal warning to Rich Dalrymple in writing was the extent of any discipline or any punishment that came his way. And for somebody that's in his station, he should understand the ramifications of making a decision like that. And beyond that, Shay, they say that there was no wrongdoing. He's the director of PR and communications. What business does he have in the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders locker room? Now, for those that are not familiar with AT&T Stadium, there is a clear separation from the Dallas Cowboys players locker room, the visiting team locker room and the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders locker room. They are not connected in any way, shape or form. So the fact that Rich Dalrymple would find himself in that situation prior to a luncheon in 2015, I just don't understand what business he has being in that Mm -hmm. place. To my knowledge, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders don't do interviews in the locker room. That's reserved to players, both visiting and home team players for the Dallas Cowboys. So why would the director of PR and communications be in that space if it wasn't something nefarious? That's the part that doesn't add up to me. But going back to something you said about the brand of the Dallas Cowboys, it wasn't just built by what the players on the field did in the 60s and the 70s a part of the Dallas Cowboys ingratiating themselves in the conscious in the forefront of American mainstream was the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. All the players, all the young kids growing up, they wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys, but you know who they wanted to date? The girls from the Dallas Cowboys cheerleading squad because it had that level of prestige to it And to treat an entity like that, to treat employees that represent that brand in this fashion is absolutely inexcusable by Jerry Jones and the Cowboys organization. I get that this is the actions of one individual, but to me, the cover up is just as bad as the actual incident itself.
1: Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with you. This is going back, though, to more behavior that seems to keep replicating itself in the NFL. And even going back to the Pro Bowl, we just saw. Uh, it, it's. It, we find out information, we'll deal with it later. We found an information, we slap you on the wrist, then the public gets word of it, and now it has to become a bigger deal. When we get information about someone doing something wrong, I'm speaking to the entire league at this point, it doesn't matter who you are. If you do something wrong, you need to be reprimanded and removed from your position, or it needs to be handled accordingly. Not let's get more info, let the public find out about it, we'll deal with it later. This is now a pattern. This isn't once or twice. It's become a pattern now in the league. And someone, if it's not gonna be Roger Goodell, someone needs to take accountability for how you're gonna handle issues with discrimination, issues with women, issues with harassment and make it serious and make it stop.
0: No, and you're you're absolutely right, Shay. The only thing That leads me to believe that the NFL won't treat this with the gravity that it deserves is watching what happened with the Washington Commanders investigation, where we thought that they were actually on the right track by bringing in Beth Wilkinson, who's a part of a third party, her team, allowing her to have access to the organization, employees past and present, and then developing a report. And then Roger Goodell said that they were going to step in. The league office was going to oversee the investigation. And we thought, well, hey, this is a great thing because it provides a level of oversight that the Washington commanders have proven themselves incapable of being able to do in terms of making sure you prevent partiality when it comes to best practices. But what ended up happening and what was reported several weeks ago was the only reason why the league office stepped in was to be a part of attorney pliant privilege when it came to Dan Snyder and making sure that his interests were protected along with the interests of the league and making sure that they keep all the findings from the investigation under wraps from you know, the federal government and the House Oversight Committee that was calling for transparency. So when it comes to issues of this nature, the NFL has proven itself incapable of being able to handle them And beyond that, being able to be forthright with the media, with the fan base in terms of the wrongdoing. This is an organization, both at the club level and at the league level, that has operated with impunity and beyond reproach. And at some point, something about that has to change when you see a consistent pattern of behavior, a consistent culture of cronyism, which protects misogyny and it protects Attitudes of discrimination in the workplace environment, and so that's the thing that we've got to move away from. And for an organization that prides itself on being on the forefront of social change, Mm -hmm. this is one of the instances that you can point to and say they're behind the rest of the corporate, the corporate America companies, the Fortune 500 companies, in trying to clean some of this stuff up when it comes to their workplace environment. And so it's very disappointing to hear about this happening. And quite frankly, Shay, I just don't have a lot of confidence that the NFL is capable of cleaning it up on its own.
1: Yeah, but it, it needs to be done. Somewhat, I mean, And this whole notion, and Roger Goodell even said it himself in the press conference before the Super Bowl, like teams doing their own investigation does good for nobody because mm. you never find the findings that you need to find, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And you know what, Shay, are never to, to, digging uh, deep there. Stop and Shea, Shea,
0: to your it. point, and I'm glad you're bringing that up, but to your point, the Washington commanders said that they didn't want to release the findings of the investigation to protect the anonymity of the victims of workplace harassment. And I talked to my fiance about this story after our production meeting today, and she said, you know, your oppressors can't be your protectors. Mm-hmm. And that's the situation that a lot of these employees find themselves when they're being marginalized by these NFL clubs. So the only true way that we can clean this up is is by having complete transparency when it comes to these investigations and accusations of this nature. It's time for Straight Talk Wireless, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We're going to bring in ESPN senior writer Don Van who who is the one that posted the article on ESPN.com about the Dallas Cowboys. And Don, we appreciate having you for a few moments. The first question we got to ask you is, how much was Jerry Jones involved in this Cowboys investigation? And what did he know and when did he know it?
2: Oh, I believe Jerry Jones uh, knew about this from the very beginning. Uh, You know, the first time this allegation was leveled was uh, the very same day it happened by these four cheerleaders on September 2nd, 2015. Uh, A cheerleader saw Rich Dalrymple in their dressing room. He gained access by using a security key card on a locked back door to that dressing room. The cheerleader says she heard a door open and shut, and several minutes later, She caught Dalrymple pointing his iPhone at her and her three colleagues while they were changing. Uh, That was reported to H.R. that day, and I believe Jerry Jones probably knew about it since then. Uh, The settlement didn't occur, though, until almost a year later. and, And the winding road that it took to get from that first allegation to when the settlement occurred, there was another allegation involving Dalrymple that I think played a large role in that, as I explain in the story.
1: Um, Yeah, so to expound on that in terms of what the other portion of this was and why it added such gravity to the situation, I mean, this was a guy that was able to stay on staff five years after the initial investigation. Why so?
2: Another great question that I wish I could have asked uh, either Jerry Jones or Jason Cohen, the Cowboys general counsel. Neither of those men agreed to talk with me for this story. Mm -hmm. But that's the big question. Uh, rich dalrymple uh, according to the team uh was not guilty of any wrongdoing they claim they thoroughly investigated both the allegation involving the cheerleaders as well as uh, an allegation that he used his phone and and took some uh uncomfortable photographs of jerry uh, jones's daughter charlotte who was an executive vice president with the team both of those allegations um according to the team were investigated and no wrongdoing was found however They put a letter, a disciplinary letter, in Rich Dalrymple's personnel file in October of 2015, and the team settled with the four cheerleaders for $2.4 million. So the question is, why was Rich Dalrymple not fired, which is what the cheerleaders had wanted to see? And the answer given to me by the team is simply that they found no wrongdoing, meaning when they looked at his phone, his Cowboys-issued cell phone, they could find no images on there, no photographs, and no video and for that reason, uh, Rich Dalrymple was allowed to stay until he retired earlier this month.
0: Yeah, it's completely outside the realm of possibility that the PR director, communications director, would have another phone, but that's beside the (laughs) point. Talking with ESPN senior writer Don Venata on ESPN Radio. And Don... Have we ascertained why Rich Dalrymple was in that space to begin with? Because he was in the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders dedicated locker room. Why would he be in that space? What business would Rich Dalrymple, the PR director, the director of communications have in that space in the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders locker room?
2: Well, that's that's a critical question, uh, because the day this happened was a kickoff luncheon at AT AT&T stadium attended by 2000 people. Uh, Emmett Smith was there. Michael Irvin was there and four cheerleaders were there um, during the ceremony. When that ceremony ended, they went back to their dressing room to change into street clothes to attend the luncheon. And they found Rich Dalrymple in there after they got in there. And as I said earlier, Dalrymple used a security key card to gain access to a locked back door where there was no security guard in guarding it. There was a security guard in, the front door, in front of the front door, but not the back door. Now, Dalrymple's explanation when he was asked is that he liked to use that bathroom and that he had routinely used that bathroom. But the cheerleaders, when they spoke to HR, pointed out that there was a men's room 20 feet away across the hallway. And so what business did he have being in there? And and I think that is what uh, got him a personnel letter, my understanding of it from my reporting and speaking to a, a source with the team. Uh, a disciplinary letter was put in his personnel file, and I think uh, basically because the explanation that he gave for being in there uh, was not enough uh, for some people with the Cowboys.
1: So unfortunately we have kind of seen – uh, not this exact situation, but situations that are in the same vein, right, across the NFL. And so in terms of punishment or what happens from here, Don, I- I'm asking you to kind of look into a crystal ball, but what do you think happens not only uh, amongst the Dallas Cowboys, but maybe the NFL as a whole?
2: Well, that's another great question. Uh, you know, there is uh, some folks on Capitol Hill in Congress that are looking very, very closely at the Washington commanders and at Dan Snyder, um, my understanding is they are aware of our story that came out today and they are reviewing it uh to possibly uh, go forward and and speak to these cheerleaders now they're under a non-disclosure agreement uh, as you guys were talking before i came on uh we know their identity of these four young women um, we did not publish it because they made allegations of sexual misconduct uh, and they are under an nda that they signed with the cowboys however there's a clause in that nda that if they get subpoenaed to have to testify uh, in any kind of proceeding, including one before Congress, uh, then they would be able to do that. So that is something that uh, we'll be watching carefully to see if uh, that's the next step in this story.
0: Don, when it comes to allegations, accusations of this nature, there are always going to be calls for transparency. Do the Dallas Cowboys have any intent on releasing any of the findings from the investigation, any of the surveillance footage from the cameras outside of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders' locker room? Do they plan on doing that moving forward?
2: They refuse to do it with me for this story. I asked for it repeatedly uh, in the run-up to publishing our story today. Uh, They have uh, a lot of data. They have the security key card that Dalrymple used. There's a timestamp on the precise moment that he entered that locker room. And then they have video cameras, surveillance cameras, as you point out, in the hallway that are also time stamped. So Dalrymple claims he got into that dressing room. As soon as he found that there were women in there, he left immediately. Uh, the cheerleader that made the accusation that found him said it was several minutes after they heard a door open and shut uh, when they actually saw Dalrymple. So the difference between a few seconds, which Dalrymple says he was in there, and several minutes that the cheerleader said he was in there can be determined with that data that the Cowboys had had come up with in their investigation and they refused to turn it over to us. So to your point, it's a very good one about transparency. There was not complete transparency with us uh, in the findings um, that they had in this very thorough investigation that they say that they conducted. They didn't turn over that data to us.
0: We'll continue to follow this story. Don, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Thank you for your incredible reporting on this bombshell article on ESPN.com. We
2: appreciate it, friend. Thank you so much, you both. I appreciate you guys.
0: Thanks, that was ESPN senior writer Don Venata on the bombshell article on ESPN.com outlining the Dallas Cowboys settlement due to workplace misconduct from their former PR director and director of communications, Rich Dalrymple. That was straight talk. Wireless, no contract, no compromise. Coming up next, we'll hear from Adam Silver and what he wishes happened differently when it came to the NBA trade deadline. You're listening to Shea Cornette and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN, ESPN Radio. Radio. Shea Cornette and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Jumpstart your new year with Body Armor Light, the low-calorie sports drink hydrating your active lifestyle. Shop now at retailers nationwide. And Shay, amongst yes. the active commissioners in pro sports in this country, I would probably rank Adam Silver number one. No? Oh
1: yeah, easily. I, yeah. I don't know that there's even a close second at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Rob Manford, <laughs> Gary Bettman, uh, you know, Roger second. Goodell. Yeah. Nope. I, I don't know that there's anybody that's a close se- se- second in terms of reasonability. Just somebody that can relate to the players, truly looks at the players as partners. So I was a little bit surprised when I heard him on Get Up This Morning with Mike Greenberg when it came to what happened at the trade deadline, specifically with James Harden and Ben Simmons. Let's take a listen to what Adam Silver had to say on the Harden trade playing out publicly.
3: I recognize that there are going to be situations where guys are unhappy and where teams are unhappy with them. But ideally, when players want to get traded or teams are preparing to make moves, those our conversations they have confidentially with players they have confidentially with other teams and obviously in this case it not only played out publicly but it's been playing out since the season even began
0: and here's what i will say and he you know adam silver actually made the point that they have data to show that players demanding trades when they're under contract with their respective teams is bad for business the argument that i would make shay is that in a week where we're leading up to the super bowl which is the biggest sporting event this country sees in a calendar year. We were talking about the NBA trade deadline and what was going to happen that Thursday prior to the Super Bowl with James Harden and Ben Simmons. That was the talk of Super Bowl week. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. We're supposed to be talking about the Los Angeles Rams, the path to how they got there, two sexy quarterbacks in Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford, and yet we were talking about the NBA. I don't know what data Adam Silver is looking at, But how could that be bad for your sport? How could that not be in the best interest of your game when you're being able to generate those types of headlines?
1: Well, and not only that, but when they were doing all-star selections with LeBron and KD, and then there was the drama leading up to that that made us all watch and see what was going to happen in terms of the picks, and obviously the trade went down after that as well. So there were a lot of different storylines that kind of – you know fed into all of this my assumption is is that he's referring to the fact that like he doesn't want this to continue to happen if there's disgruntled athletes that are under contract in the middle of their contract and are kind of a face of their team like in James Harden's case and at one point Ben Simmons we just don't want it playing out publicly that they're unhappy and doing things like James Harden did. Where essentially he's saying I'm not playing without saying I'm not playing, only posting four points and looking completely disinterested. Like those kinds of things aren't good for the league. However, he ma- he makes a point that I said yesterday to you, Candy, like. This benefits everyone now when there's players that are happy and actually going to be on the court and play that could play at their full potential. It benefited nobody besides us and our peaking interests. With Ben Simmons sitting on the bench or talking to – medical professionals and not being able to actually play basketball. So I hear what he's saying, but I also think there is a little bit of, the, of an agenda. Why do we love the NBA? Because of all the drama that comes with it. Like, it's it's a different kind of drama. That's why NBA Twitter is the best Twitter, because it's a different kind of drama week in and week out during the regular season or beyond.
0: Absolutely. And NBA free agency and, the, you know, all of the talking around where players are going to end up going, who wants to team up with two to form the next super team, it just gives a lot of hope to franchises that otherwise wouldn't have any because there could be the rare instance where one of these superstar players, an all NBA caliber talent, decides that he wants to bestow his good graces on your franchise. And oh, by the way, he's bringing one of his other partners who's an all star caliber player to play alongside him. Essentially, what happened with the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So there is always that potential. And so. As far as player mobility is concerned, whether it's via trade or via free agency, I think it's in the best interest of the game. Here's Adam Silver on the superstar movement and how it's impacting the product that we're seeing in today's NBA.
3: Superstars moving isn't necessarily a bad thing because it it allows bad situations to, um, in an orderly way, um, to change. It allows it gives teams that may not be in a competitive position hope that they can sign one of those players.
0: And Shay, yeah. it sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Because he's Kinda. talking about how bad the Harden James Harden Ben Simmons situation is, but yet player mobility being a good thing if it's done the right way. What I hear, if I'm reading in between the lines of what he's actually saying, is he doesn't want owners to lose control of star players that they don't want to part ways with. And I get it because Adam Silver works at the behest of the NBA Board of Governors. They don't like calling themselves owners anymore. They call him the Board of Governors. But that's who he works for. And so, essentially, these owners have decided that we don't like these transcended talents being able to dictate to us when these guys are going to leave our organization because we recognize the value that these guys bring to our teams. But what I would say to that is, you you went down this road when you decided to market your stars and their personalities more so than the actual game itself. Mm-hmm. If you look at the NBA product, it's vastly different than what the NFL does. With the NFL, it's all about the shield. Hell, the logo is the shield. With the NBA, the logo is the player. And so it's all about being able to market that player. And they, I actually leaned into player mobility when LeBron started it over a decade ago and, say, and seeing how fans – follow the stars to these different teams. The NBA opened the door for this to happen, and now the players are just walking through it. So if you're the owners or if you're on the board of governors, if you're the commissioner, I don't think you're in any place to complain about it because this is the thing that you've been benefiting from from the last decade and a half.
1: The only thing I'll say about how this pertains to James Harden and Ben Simmons, there's different levels to this trade because you have a disgruntled player that's upset about a vaccine mandate in terms of the COVID protocols, which – in itself is, um, you know, controversial. And then you also have mental health being cited in terms of Ben Simmons and what he was going through with the 76ers. And so there's levels to it between this trade where it's not just a disgruntled player who's not happy with the way they play it. Now, there are reports coming out that James Harden didn't like the ISO ball that was being played there in Brooklyn. That's a whole different story. But I think when you add in things like the vaccine mandate and mental health and how that pertains to both these individuals and their unhappiness, it's probably not good for business to add up for Adam Silver and the NBA to be in the mix with all of that. Upset about the team you're on, upset about the players, upset about the way you're playing or the personnel or the scheme you're running or whatever, that's fine. But when it comes to these other levels, probably not good for business. And I think that's probably what Adam Silver is alluding to, that he didn't want that all being so public and what was drugged through everybody and everyone's Twitter timelines as it led up to this ultimate blockbuster trade.
0: Yeah, but it feels like this is more the outlier than the norm when it comes to players that want to get out of their current situation. I I, I mean, James Harden, mm-hmm. we've seen him do it twice yep. in the last couple of years, so that doesn't necessarily bode well for him in terms of you know trying to make the case of putting himself in an ideal situation. But the nuance with the Brooklyn Nets situation with Kyrie Irving and him not being vaccinated, it, it does it does add a level of justification or credibility if James Harden is saying that he wants to be on a team where all of the players are reliable and dependable and not dealing with one of the guys being part-time, especially a key cog. But we'll have more on that from Adam Silver as well as Adam Silver attacking New York City's vaccine mandate. We'll have that for you. But first, a word from Wendy's. This is your Wendy's wake-up call. Get a better breakfast at Wendy's when you buy any breakfast sandwich and get any size drink for free. Fresh brewed coffee, free. Diet Coke, free. Vanilla Frosty Chino, my personal favorite. Yes, also free. Get to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru during breakfast hours and buy your Wendy's breakfast sandwich and get any size drink in a Wendy's cup for free. Limited time only at participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Offer cannot be combined with any other mobile offer, not valid for third party delivery orders. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN, ESPN Radio. Radio. Shea Cornette and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Jumpstart your new year with Body Armor Light, the low calorie sports drink hydrating your active lifestyle. Shop now at retailers nationwide. And Shay, amongst yes. the active commissioners in pro sports in this country, I would probably rank Adam Silver number one. No, oh
1: yeah, easily. I, yeah. I don't know that there's even a close second at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Rob Manford, <laughs> Gary Bettman, uh, you know, Roger second. Goodell. Yeah, nope. I, I don't know that there's anybody that's a close sec- sec- second in terms of reasonability. Just somebody that can relate to the players, truly looks at the players as partners. So I was a little bit surprised when I heard him on Get Up this morning with Mike Greenberg when it came to what happened at the trade deadline, specifically with James Harden and Ben Simmons. Let's take a listen to what Adam Silver had to say on the Harden trade playing out publicly.
3: I recognize that there are going to be situations where guys are unhappy or teams are unhappy with them. But ideally, when players want to get traded or teams are preparing to make moves, those our conversations, they have confidentially with players. They have confidentially with other teams. And obviously, in this case, it not only played out publicly, but it's been playing out since the season even began.
0: And here's what I will say. And, he, you know, Adam Silver actually made the point that they have data to show that players demanding trades when they're under contract with their respective teams is bad for business. The argument that I would make, Shea, is that in a week where we're leading up to the Super Bowl, which is the biggest sporting event this country sees in a calendar year, we were talking about the NBA trade deadline and what was going to happen that Thursday prior to the Super Bowl with James Harden and Ben Simmons. That was the talk of Super Bowl week. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. We're supposed to be talking about the Los Angeles Rams, the path to how they got there, two sexy quarterbacks in Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford, and yet we were talking about the NBA. I don't know what data Adam Silver is looking at, But how could that be bad for your sport? How could that not be in the best interest of your game when you're being able to generate those types of headlines?
1: Well, and not only that, but when they were doing all-star selections with LeBron and KD, and then there was the drama leading up to that that made us all watch and see what was going to happen in terms of the picks, and obviously the trade went down after that as well. So there were a lot of different storylines that kind of – you know fed into all of this my assumption is is that he's referring to the fact that like he doesn't want this to continue to happen if there's disgruntled athletes that are under contract in the middle of their contract and are kind of a face of their team like in James Harden's case and at one point Ben Simmons we just don't want it playing out publicly that they're unhappy and doing things like James Harden did. Where essentially he's saying, "I'm not playing," without saying, "I'm not playing," only posting four points and looking completely disinterested. Like those kinds of things aren't good for the league. However, he ma- he makes a point that I said yesterday to you, Candy, like. This benefits everyone now when there's players that are happy and actually going to be on the court and play that could play at their full potential. It benefited nobody besides us and our peaking interests. With Ben Simmons sitting on the bench or talking to – medical professionals and not being able to actually play basketball so I hear what he's saying but I also think there is a little bit of the of an agenda why do we love the NBA because of all the drama that comes with it like it's it's a different kind of drama that's why NBA Twitter is the best Twitter because it's a different kind of drama week in and week out during the regular season or beyond
0: absolutely and NBA free agency and the, you know all of the talking around where players are going to end up going who wants to team up with two to form the next super team It just gives a lot of hope to franchises that otherwise wouldn't have any because there could be the rare instance where one of these superstar players and all NBA caliber talent decides that he wants to bestow his good graces on your franchise. And oh, by the way, he's bringing one of his other partners who's an all-star caliber player to play alongside him. Essentially what happened with the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So there is always that potential. And so – as far as player mobility is concerned, whether it's via trade or via free agency, I think it's in the best interest of the game. Here's Adam Silver on the superstar movement and how it's impacting the product that we're seeing in today's NBA.
3: Superstars moving isn't necessarily a bad thing because it it allows bad situations to, um, in an orderly way, um, to change. It allows it gives teams that may not be in a competitive position hope that they can sign one of those players.
0: And Shay, it sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because he's talking about how bad the Harden-Ben Simmons situation is, but yet player mobility being a good thing if it's done the right way. What I hear if I'm reading in between the lines of what he's actually saying is he doesn't want owners to lose control of star players that they don't want to part ways with. And I get it. Because Adam Silver works at the behest of the NBA Board of Governors. They don't like calling themselves owners anymore. They call him the Board of Governors. But that's who he works for. And so, essentially, these owners have decided that we don't like these transcended talents being able to dictate to us when these guys are going to leave our organization because we recognize the value that these guys bring to our teams. But what I would say to that is... You, you went down this road when you decided to market your stars and their personalities more so than the actual game itself. Mm-hmm. If you look at the NBA product, it's vastly different than what the NFL does. With the NFL, it's all about the shield. Hell, the logo is the shield. With the NBA, the logo is the player. And so it's all about being able to market that player. And they, I actually leaned into player mobility when LeBron started it over a decade ago and, say, and seeing how fans – follow the stars to these different teams. The NBA opened the door for this to happen, and now the players are just walking through it. So if you're the owners or if you're on the board of governors, if you're the commissioner, I don't think you're in any place to complain about it because this is the thing that you've been benefiting from from the last decade and a half.
1: The only thing I'll say about how this pertains to James Harden and Ben Simmons, there's different levels to this trade because you have a disgruntled player that's upset about a vaccine mandate in terms of the COVID protocols, which – in itself is, um, you know, controversial, and then you also have mental health being cited in terms of Ben Simmons and what he was going through with the 76ers, and so there's levels to it between this trade where it's not just a disgruntled player who's not happy with the way they play it. Now, there are reports coming out that James Harden didn't like the ISO ball that was being played there in Brooklyn. That's a whole different story, but I think when you add in things like the vaccine mandate and mental health and how that pertains to both these individuals and their unhappiness, it's probably not good for business to add for Adam Adam Silver and the NBA to be in the mix with all of that. Upset about the team you're on, upset about the players, upset about the way you're playing or the personnel or the scheme you're running or whatever, that's fine. But when it comes to these other levels, probably not good for business. And I think that's probably what Adam Silver is alluding to, that he didn't want that all being so public and what was drugged through everybody and everyone's Twitter timelines as it led up to this ultimate blockbuster trade.
0: Yeah, but it feels like this is more of the outlier than the norm when it comes to players that want to get out of their current situation. I I, I mean, James Harden, mm-hmm. we've seen him do it twice yep. in the last couple of years, so that doesn't necessarily bode well for him in terms of you know trying to make the case of putting himself in an ideal situation. But the nuance with the Brooklyn Nets situation with Kyrie Irving and him not being vaccinated, it, it does it does add a level of justification or credibility if James Harden is saying that he wants to be on a team where all of the players are reliable and dependable and not dealing with one of the guys being part-time, especially a key cog. But we'll have more on that from Adam Silver as well as Adam Silver attacking New York City's vaccine mandate. We'll have that for you. But first, a word from Wendy's. This is your Wendy's wake-up call Get a better breakfast at Wendy's when you buy any breakfast sandwich and get any size drink for free. Fresh brewed coffee, free. Diet Coke, free. Vanilla Frosty Chino, my personal favorite, yes, also free. Get to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru during breakfast hours and buy your Wendy's breakfast sandwich and get any size drink in a Wendy's cup for free. Limited time only at participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Offer cannot be combined with any other mobile offer. Not valid for third-party delivery orders. You're listening to ESPN Radio. Back after this.